0: what's up everybody and welcome to 2 5 and 10 episode 46 i figured this intro is fitting because we're covering the pacific division today talking about the wild wild west speaking of the wild wild west the guy who's still currently there benny what up
1: we finally made it we're not out of the woods yet in terms of the off season and uh the very slow days of summer but we get to start our divisional off-season reviews today, um, work our way through each each division, and then get into September and training camps are open.
0: Yeah, I think this is good, too, because last year we started a little bit late, like right at the start of the season. We didn't really get to cover everything. So I-, I like that we're way ahead of it this year, definitely can cover it. And this is strictly based on current rosters. I don't want, you know, a big trade happens and people are like, well, you said L.A. was going to suck. Oh, yeah, well, I, I thought they did in August. So, you know, <laughs> just I, I just want to clarify before I get tortured in about December. That's all.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll buy ourselves like another month until we do our official season predictions and uh, divisional standings and everything else like that. But I'll say this right now, even though it's August, if the L.A. Kings somehow surprise people and make the playoffs – if there is any Kings fan listening, I'll buy you a jersey of whoever you want.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I do not have them there at all. So, <laughs> I mean, at, at least we're on the same spot with that. We'll see what ends up happening throughout the year. You know, like we said, there's still plenty of time. Things can happen. GMs can make trades. and But ugh, good luck in L.A. How about mm-hmm. that? <laughs> all right, Benny. Where are we starting with the, with the Pacific?
1: Uh, with the Pacific, we're gonna go in division order based on last year, just because you know we already shit on the Kings to start the podcast. Might as well keep that train rolling. Perfect. Uh, we'll start out in LA. Last year, they went thirty-one, forty-two, and nine. Finished for a division worth seventy-one points, and they finished with a negative sixty-one goal differential. This off season was pretty quiet. i on the West Coast. uh They made some minor moves, some depth signings, but I think their biggest off-season move was the buyout of uh, Dion Phaneuf. Uh, Overall, they shared off about $5 million uh, in salary, but just because of that subtraction of Phaneuf, they added almost a win in their projected win total. So what are your thoughts on the Kings' off-season, and I guess where do you see them kind of going for the remainder of the summer as they head into camp?
0: The biggest thing that I see with L.A. is Todd McClellan. Everything else, like you said, there hasn't been much roster turnaround. With the roster in place, I don't really see much improvement. But I do think that Todd is able to come in here and implement a system and kind of make something out of nothing. But I also think it's going to take time. I don't think this is the year. I don't even think next year is the year. Maybe the third year when you might start seeing some – Legitimate improvement. You look at the roster. I mean, unfortunately, I hate to say it because I'm a huge Jonathan Quick guy. He has not been the Jonathan Quick of old due to all the injuries. Drew Doughty on the back end, still Alec Martinez. But after that, you kind of drop off to Derek Forbod and Paul Adu. Like, it, Maybe if you're Slava Boynoff? No, I don't even think you're looking for him. <laughs> I just think, like, if you're looking for guys to come up, because All those other guys under Forbit, Ledoux, Sean Walker, Joakim Ryan, Matt Roy, Curtis McDermott, like, all these guys only have one year left, except Roy. He has two, but I mean, these guys are all unrestricted or restricted at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's your hopes to re-sign them. I I just don't know where you go on that end with it, but I mean, up front, there are still so many question marks as to what's going to, like, you still have Dustin Brown on the books for huge money for another three years, and... The fact that he hasn't been bought out yet to me is still mind-boggling. Is Jeff Carter going to be the Jeff Carter of old? Who knows? The whole Ilya Kovalchuk thing that just did not work out last year. Is it going to be better this year? There are so many question marks with this team, man, and it's just hard to see them in a positive light. That's just my only issue is just who's going to be a difference maker for him? Anzi Kopitar, well, it's like, well, he has the whole team on his back, and so does Drew Doughty. That's it. Like, I I don't see it going anywhere. I see it being another bottom of the Pacific team again.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Rangers dodged a bullet with Kovalchuk to side and to go out to LA. Uh, I know the Rangers were interested in bringing him on board. Thank God they didn't. Um, I think it's, since they had such a quiet offseason, it's a similar story to what last season was going to be for them. Very top heavy and expensive aging or just declining players. You mentioned Kovalchuk. he has two years left in his deal at six point two five million. Dustin Brown has three years left at five point eight seven five. Jeff Carter has three years left at five point two. Kobitar has five years left at ten million dollars a year on a cap. Uh, Drew Doughty signed long term for eleven million dollars a year, and then you have Quick at five point eight. None of those guys outside of Doughty and maybe Kopitar would be quote-unquote first division players on true Stanley Cup contenders like anytime soon. And like you touched on, they have a bunch of free agents after this coming year. Tyler Toffoli, who I do expect to have a very good bounce-back year. I think last year was an outlier for him. So since he's a pending free agent, I can see him being very sought after at the upcoming trade deadline. But you have DeFoley, Trevor Lewis, Kyle Clifford, uh, Mario Kempi. Uh, On the back end, you have Forbot, Ladue, Joaquin Martin, Martinez has one year left on his deal after this year, so maybe he's a trade candidate. And then Jack Campbell, the only young, real goalie in the system that's NHL-ready is a free agent after the year, too. So I think this year is going to be a very similar one to last year. It's all going to be about Todd McClellan instituting a system, trying to change the culture a little bit, Uh, I still think they're recovering from the Daryl Sutter years in terms of usage and making win-now trades and kind of whittling down their uh, farm system. So I think after this year is when they're going to get some money off the books a little bit and they might be able to make some moves and add to the uh, prospect uh, cupboard at the trade deadline.
0: I just find it so hard that they're stuck with certain guys. Like, Mm. Dustin Brown, they either have to buy out or, like, no one's taking them in a trade. So that's going to be against the cap if they decide to go in that direction. Jeff Carter, if he can't bounce back to the Jeff Carter of old, probably the same thing. But I do think people would take a flyer on Jeff Carter. But I just don't think you would get much in return. Like, I just yeah, feel... Salary for that. Yeah, like I just think that no matter where they try to turn, it's going to be hard for them to get out of this salary cap hole that they're in with older guys who were a part of the cup teams that now are not even contribution
1: worthy. Like that's the yeah. hardest part. I think to touch on the Dustin Brown situation, the reason why they didn't buy him out this summer is really because of the dead money they currently have in the books. This year alone, they're paying still paying Mike Richards one point five million dollars of dead money. FNUF is getting two point one, but I think next summer is the earliest you could see somebody like Brown being bought out because Richard's dead cap hit drops all the way down to $250,000. So that frees up some additional money for LA to kind of spread out the, uh, buyout for Brown. But next year you have $4 million of debt space for Dion Phaneuf. So really poor management, which is why that Phaneuf trade, even at the time you and I were like, I don't know what they're doing here. And it came back to bite him in the ass. Um, But, yeah, not quite sure how long this process is going to be. But you look at a guy like Jeff Carter. Yeah, he has three years left in his deal of 5.2. But as a sniper, maybe as a power play guy that getting third-line minutes can slide up to your second line as a winger, I don't think he's suitable as a center anymore. You look at a team that has a ton of cash space, and, hey, take a flyer on him if you only have to trade a mid-round pick or something for him, like Colorado, New Jersey— A team like that, why not?
0: Absolutely, especially, like you said, at the deadline where, I mean, the way we're looking at it is that they're not even going to be even close to the playoffs. So if you can get certain guys off your books and, you know, try to rebuild through a draft or at least have cap space available, like I think that only helps you to try and turn it around. Just because L.A. to me is a spot where people will go and sign there just due to the weather due to the pacific travel where it's not too bad like i think on that end they could definitely get free agents there i just think right now their hands are just tied in their cap situation
1: yeah we'll see what happens i think la is going to be picked apart a little bit more like you said at the trade deadline and see what happens there but i think we're on the same page it's mcclellan mcclellan's vision and if that doesn't work out oh boy you're looking at like another three four five years in the basement yeah
0: and then on top of it it's like rob blake has his hands full like, <laughs> yeah. like just trying to find a way to make that whole scenario work so good luck there
1: <laughs> yeah we'll move on uh we'll have plenty of time to dissect uh the upcoming season for these teams but moving on to the edmonton oilers I. Uh, they finished 35, 38, 38, and 9 last year for 79 points with a negative 42 goal differential. This offseason, I think you can kind of break it down into two iterations, uh, for me at least. They had a quiet off season to begin with, which I think, based on their past few summers, is a win just because they didn't do anything stupid. But then the Lucic and James Neal trade happened kind of washed salary wise we covered it in a previous episode on a podcast but they brought in mike smith marcus granlin james neal uh they let go of guys like ty Raddy. they bought out andre Sakara, so, uh, so Ryder is gone lucic has been traded to calgary and alex petrovic is also gone from edmonton uh what are your thoughts on what they've done so far this offseason how do you think the pieces kind of fit in terms of grandland and neal
0: I think the additions for them are huge. Uh last year ended with so many question marks with this team because I think everyone believed they had the talent to get it done and then McDavid like his back must kill him cuz he was a don't <laughs> hi- no like he was a highlight reel every night or every other game and he still could not get them to the next step. So this isn't basketball where you can have one superstar player and do okay like I think it speaks as to how team-oriented hockey is and how deep you have to be. And I think that they finally may have hit something here. So, like, you have McDavid, obviously, is that 1C. You look down the lineup, now you got Nugent Hopkins there. You could probably pair him with James Neal, who could have a phenomenal comeback year. I've always liked Sam Gagne, and mm. I think for a 3C, 4C role now that he's older, I think it's perfect for him to keep him down there. Like, I just think that this lineup looks a lot better and want to know the biggest thing to me, and I don't want everyone to come out, I'm a Chiarelli hater, but Ken Holland came in and he made changes instantly. Yeah. So I think he could see the bigger picture as to what needed to be done, more importantly. I know he was in Detroit and kind of overseeing but obviously you look around the league you see games you see NHL tonight in the morning you kind of see what's going on and I think he came in and he made some great changes that are going to help this organization on the other end at the same time I think their D is still lagging big time like Adam Larson, Oscar (laughs) Clefman well yeah but it's like I think bottom six guys they have with matt benning and brandon manning and joel person but it's like above that like i think they expected darnell nurse to blossom a lot more than he has and he's still a a cusp top four guy yeah and like you look at chris russell a lot older still a couple of years on the books hoping for more i mean the adam larson trade we don't even have to go into that as to who won the deal and everything else but yeah but like you hoped for more out of him even so it's like they're going to be very top heavy in the sense of offense and they're going to have to go in and win games 5-3 because i mean if you look in net i mean i don't think mike smith or miko koskinen are the answer here by any means so i think that they're going to have to go out and they're going to have to depend a lot on that offense and if there's games Well, let me rephrase. Let me go first. If there's a game or games like consecutively where the offense isn't clicking, you can't rely on that defense to shut people down. And that's going to be their downfall. And I do think they will be better than they were last year. But I still see question marks. Like it's so hard. Like offense wins games, but defense wins championships. Like I don't know, man.
1: The thing for me is. If you're a team like Edmonton that's going to rely on offense, I know you have McDavid, you have Nijan Hopkins, and Jai Seidel. He's not... I don't think he's a true 40-goal-a-year guy. So you're going to, in my view, expect some regression from him, and that takes away your type line guy. I know James Neal is brought in. Hopefully he rebounds, which I think we both think he will in a major way, playing on the wing with uh, McDavid. You have Granlin there. The thing for me is you let Cam Talbot go, who I'm not saying is a world beater, but if you're looking to pay a guy to split time with Koskinen or maybe even be a number one ahead of him if he can't truly make the transition over to be a 40-50 start-a-year goaltender, Mike Smith is your solution to that. Like, he signed one year, $2 million. Talbot didn't get much more than that with Calgary for on, on a one-year deal. And... I know we were talking about the defense. This is a big year for them because you're probably going to get a lot of ice time for guys like Evan Bouchard and Caleb Jones uh, to come into the lineup. Caleb Jones the younger brother of Seth Jones in Columbus. Bouchard was their uh, highly touted first-round pick from two drafts ago. So I think this year is all about setting a tone. The hire by Ken Hollins, you know, he brings clout from his years in Detroit. I think that's a major step forward for the organization in terms of not just bringing in another guy from the good old boys club in Edmonton, not looking to bring in a guy from the 1980s cup team with McTavish and Lowe and all these guys. So I think that's a major move right there. I think it was a good decision for them to kind of not blow up their cap situation even more by entering free agency and trying to look for a quick fix. I love the James Neal trade. The Grandland edition, I think, could be underrated. But it's really all about the development and goal of hopefully Koskinen and then the additions of Jones and Bouchard on a back end. Everything else is just you kind of hope the offense keeps your head above water from where they were last year. And if that's the case, you have James Neal, Drysaddle, Saddle, Nugent Hopkins, and McDavid. You're sitting pretty for the next few years.
0: I got a question for you on the other end that whole Jesse Puleyar deal that's going on uh, like he's already signed with the team in Europe but he still has the option to come here if he ends up getting traded he he wants nothing to do with Edmonton and this is a fourth overall pick what if anything are you looking at in return if you're Ken Holland if a team comes knocking for his services cuz you're not getting a first round pick cuz nah, he has nah, nah. not blossomed at all with all the other first-round picks up there or anything else. But, like, what to you would be a satisfactory trade just to kind of get him off the books? And then the other thing, too, is that he's still restricted, so a team still has to work a deal out with him. So I think he's just kind of not looking good on all ends here. Uh, yeah, I, I, just, I think it's just a tough look, and obviously you just don't want to let the kid go for nothing.
1: No, I mean, I think the easiest solution is You wait out through training camp in the early part of the year, and you wait to see which teams either deal with an injury to their top nine or are a surprise contender, um, preferably out east, that might be looking to add some offense on a cheap. He's still 21 years old. He doesn't have arbitration rights. So if you're a team that's acquiring him, you can acquire his rights. He's out of Edmonton. I'm sure he'll want to come over. And you can just give him – the qualifying offer, and it's up to him to sign her or not. And then, if since it's the one year deal, he gets even closer to arbitration and free agency, which, if he's banking on himself, he'll jump at the chance to. But 21 years old, Edmonton, I don't, I'm not going to say it's another Yahoo situation where he just was a complete bust. I think Paul Giavi, he got really manhand, like pushed around and mishandled in Edmonton. He was. Up and down between Bakersfield and Edmonton. The most ice time he averaged was 2017 18, got 13 minutes of ice time. Like, what is your fourth overall pick? 6'4, 201, right hand shot. You were starving for offense on the right side and you couldn't find ice time for the kid. Let him sink or swim, especially if he's in a negative frame of mind. Maybe build up his value a little bit. Even if he doesn't want to be in Edmonton, once summer hit, you can move him and get more for him. So I'm not exactly sure what the coaching staff was doing with him the last few years. But I'm sure he can get a conditional third-rounder where he gets a third-round pick for his rights. If he signs, it turns into a second-rounder. And based on performance, it could block, push up to a first-round pick.
0: And, and so I'm th- sure you would find a team that would take that waiver. I mean, I, I don't know how high people are on them, but just on that fact, like, hey, you know, if he comes in and he scores 60 points for us, yeah, we'll give you a first-round pick. We, we get first-year negotiating rights with them next year, you know? So I, I think it could all work out,
1: yeah. I mean, I would look at teams, if I'm Holland, and Holland knows, has forgotten more general management in the National Hockey League than I you know my entire body. But I identify teams that are consistently Stanley Cup contenders that never have the chance to draft in the top five that could be looking to add to their secondary scoring take a flyer on a kid that was drafted fourth overall and if it works out they got a top 5 talent on a cheap that they have at in his age 21 22 23 seasons which still isn't even a hockey player's prime so just off the top of my head I know I'm not trying to always keep this northeast centric but I'm pretty sure Boston would like to take a little bit of a flyer on a kid who could potentially be a 60 point guy on the right side Oh,
0: especially if you can get him at a discount this year and then try to work it out next year. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, yeah, that's a messy situation. I'm hoping that he doesn't stay in Europe for the remainder of his career. He comes back over because I don't think he's a bust. I still think he's young enough and he has the size to, even if he's just a third-line forward that gives you 15, 20 goals a year, that's valuable. And I just want to see if he can turn it around in a situation that's not Edmonton.
0: I think a lot of people pray to get out of Edmonton, especially. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's cold up uh, there, man. It's cold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, we'll head to somewhere a little bit warmer, uh, Anaheim. A little bit of a rebuild starting for them. Last year, they went 35-37-10 for 80 points, and they finished with a negative 52 goal differential, which is even worse than the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, in terms of their off-season. their big... I guess transaction was the buyout of Corey Perry, uh, which saved them some money on a the cap. Uh, they didn't really bring many other guys in. They brought in Michael Delzato, which, good luck to you. Um, kind of, I guess their big move is the Dallas Eakins hiring, promoting him from the AHL move uh, organization. So what are your thoughts where they stand right now with kind of the passing of the torch from the Perry-Geslaff Kessler years to you guys like Sam Steele and Jakob Silverberg and uh, John Gibson.
0: I mean, at some point it had to happen, right? Like, you, you know, yeah. we
1: all can't stay young forever.
0: Um, unfortunate with Ryan Kessler and the injury and how he'll probably never play again. But at the same time for them, you, you start looking at some things and it's not a complete shit show because they have certain things in place. They have a great goalie situation with John Gibson, Ryan Miller, and then they traded, or he just signed there, Anthony Stolarz, who was a huge pick and ended up there. So I think from the back end on that, you're good. You look at the decor with Cam Fowler, Manson, Holzer, and Lindholm, like I think that's a good four. Like you can try to get the other two whichever way you want, but I think that's a decent top four. Mm -hmm. So now you go to the forward side and – like you said, I mean, you got Ryan Getzlaff there who's going to be the senior citizen in the room and kind of holding court with all the young guys, keeping them on their toes and in line. But when you look at it the other way, there's still some things that are happening. You have Troy Terry, you got Daniel Sprung, and then they brought up Maxime Comtois at the end of the year last year too. So he got some games <laughs> in him. Deal. So, I mean, I think that it's not a complete shit show. No, I think it's a rebuild on the fly, which is okay. Like, it's okay because they have the horses to do it, which makes it okay. It's not like they don't have anybody and they're trying to bring in all sorts of free agents and everything else. I just think that the kids are going to need to play and they're going to need to blossom a little bit. You have Jacob Silverberg there who signed that deal last year that I know me and you weren't the two highest on value-wise, but when you look at that lineup he's one of their top players yeah and you still have Adam Henrique, so he's out there like I think Fuck you Henry. could, <laughs> you know, like, no, I just think like you could intertwine the young guys and the older guys together and I think you get a decent top six so when you look at their depth you look at Nick Ritchie you look at Devin Shore like I think those are decent depth guys too so I don't think it's all that bad I know it's kind of a black cloud situation a little bit just because no one knew really what to expect but i think the other big thing here is dallas Eakins. yeah all those guys he had down in the ahl he he went to the playoffs every year like he knows these kids and i think that's a huge part of it is knowing your team and if he knows that there's certain guys in the ahl that he had last year that can come up and play at this level i think he's gonna bring them up and give them a chance because at this point You don't have, yeah, like he knows his guys, and the other thing is, you don't have anything to lose. So I think they're very interesting because if there's certain players that end up catching fire on this team, I think they can take off. I I don't think they're a playoff team, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know there's certain guys here that are able to produce a lot of points and they get looked at from around the league. I, I think absolutely if people can find the right chemistry that if Troy Terry can come in and he can bury pucks like he's done his whole career like I, I yeah yeah, I, I'm just saying like I think it's not as bad as people think it is
1: yeah I think they made the right move with the Perry buyout uh, just because it could be intimidating when you're going through a transition period for young guys to come in and feel like they are able to be comfortable enough to speak up and take on more of a leadership role when you have guys like a Perry, a Kessler, a Geslaff sitting in a room. And I'm not saying Perry or Kessler were bad teammates or anything, but now that there's a little bit of a leadership vacuum, you're looking to see who steps up. Is that going to be Adam Henrique? Is that going to be Silverberg? Is it going to be a guy like uh Manson who I think is a I love Josh Manson. And I love yeah. Josh Manson. So That being said, I don't have many negative things to say about Anaheim. Outside of the Rangers, this is the team I'm most excited to see this upcoming season. I think they're a little light in the center position just because of Adam Henrique being a little bit overrated. And then you have a lot of pressure on Sam Steele to step up to be the 2C. But you have Ricard Raquel, uh, Raquel, Devin Shora, underrated. You have... Getzlaff, Henrik Steele down the middle. Like you said, Troy Terry. I think Andre uh, is going to have a big bounce back year. Daniel Sprung, who Pittsburgh had no use for, but I think is a very, very underrated pickup to be a potential Max Zuccarello type guy. Maybe not defensively or feisty wise, but offensive production. Uh, they have a solid top three uh, with a couple of defense prospects like Benoit and Mahura hopefully stepping up. And then they're setting goal. If you have a franchise goaltender, you're never too far away from the playoffs. And I think Anaheim has put themselves in a position with some very smart pickups the last two summers, some pretty good drafts, especially since they were always picking pretty late in the first and second round, that last year could be an outlier. And I think they're one of the teams that's been really underrated this offseason in terms of experts and people making season predictions already that I think they can challenge for a playoff spot this coming year. Uh, That's, that's just
0: my hardest point is like, are they going to be in the playoffs? And I don't know. And like you said too, when it comes to goaltending, sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. And if he can get them there, like who knows what can happen? I mean, we saw Jordan Bennington last year. Like you, you find the right goalie at the right time. You can be in great shape. So that's my hardest thing on my end is are they a playoff team or not?
1: I mean, I look at – I think they're better than Edmonton, L.A., and Vancouver, who we're going to talk about next. I think, to be honest, they're better, better than Arizona even after the Kessel edition, and who knows what's going on in Minnesota, like what the morale is there. Um, and then I I've put them in a tier of like with Chicago – who might be like in a ninth or tenth spot, but battling to the end it a year, and it's just a toss up about who's going to make it. So I might be a little more bullish on them than you are, obviously, but I just think they set themselves up pretty well here.
0: All right, well, uh, let's lead on into our uh, Vancouver Canucks.
1: Yeah, Vancouver Canucks uh, last year finished 81 points, 35, 36, and 11. Uh, negative 29 goal differential. They started off hot and kind of faded as the year went on. Uh, they had a pretty eventful uh, off season. They signed Alex Edler to a two-year extension. They placed the immortal Ryan Spooner on waivers. Uh, they made the big JT Miller trade where they basically gave away a first-round pick to take on a full contract. Uh, they overpaid for Tyler Myers on a five-year deal. They added Jordy Ben on a two-year contract. And then I think they made a pretty solid death signing with the Oscar-Fontenberg uh, one-year deal. I think they're on the upswing. They have some good young players, especially up front. What are your thoughts?
0: I'm with you on the upswing part. I, I like this lineup. I think that they are better than what people expect. Unfortunately, you still have Louis Erickson who went there and has not blossomed. I mean, outside of that, Bo Horvat, J.T. Miller. Let's not forget Elias Pettersson, like mm. Jake Virtanen, Tim Shatley.
1: Michael Ferland. Sign there,
0: Mike and Michael Ferland, Tanner Pearson, who I think is a great player, along with Brandon Sutter. Like, I think they have a decent lineup. The only thing I don't like is their D end.
1: Oh yeah, man.
0: Like, I think there's so many holes there. Like, you overpaid and you oversigned Tyler Myers big time. Um, Alexander Edler, I mean. It is what it is. They signed him for only two years. I don't think that's that bad. But you have Tanev for another year. You have Troy Stetcher, who I don't think is that bad. But it's like, I don't think there's anyone here that sticks out. So with that being said, I think Quinn Hughes yeah, needs to have a break. On yeah, they are going to bank on him huge this year. I think he's going to have a breakout year for him. And he had a great year last year coming up. So being able just to play those games at the end was great. You look at the backside, Jacob Markstrom, Thatcher Demko. I think they expected Thatcher to develop a lot quicker than he has. But at the same time, if Markstrom's your one and Thatcher's your one A, like I don't <laughs> think that's that bad. But
1: yeah, I th- I think that's a brutal goaltending pairing.
0: No, I don't. I don't think so. I think Demko's a really good goalie. I just I think he might even take the starting job this year. I, I mean, you don't know what you're going to get out of Markstrom from night in and night out. And Thatcher's a steady goalie, man. Like, I, I saw him with the USA development team when he was there. I saw him at BC. Like, I, I just seen the way he plays. He's just really good tempo goalie. Like, it might not be their best mix, but I, I do think he's a good goalie.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I don't mean brutal career-wise. I mean, this year... I don't like Markstrom at all. I know he had like a all-right year this past season. Uh, I think Demko does have a ton of potential to be a number one goalie in the league. I just know if that combination for this upcoming season is the right mix because if Demko is not truly ready to be number one or s- split time, then they have to rely on Markstrom, who I don't think is a true number one or a guy they can rely on for 40-50 starts a year. I think that combined with their top six on defense is a recipe for just losing six five games. No, I don't think that bad. You think sixty five? No, I mean like losing six five games.
0: Oh, I thought you were saying losing sixty five oh, that- games. I was like, <laughs> holy shit!
1: <laughs> I think they're going to be the worst team in the history of the National Hockey League. No, I mean I'm with you up front. At Brock Bosser, you know, I like the Miller addition. On paper, if you just take out what they gave up, they get him. Uh, Patterson, I like Bo Horvat. They're paying Tyler Myers to be number one when he's barely a top four at this point in his career, especially the last year, year and a half in Winnipeg. You have of there. I mean, they're banking on Quinn Hughes, but who you're pairing, who's going to be his partner on the right side? You're going to give him top pair minutes with Myers? I don't know if that's going to work out too well. I think they're a year away because their cap situation is actually not that bad at all as they enter into the summer next year. So I think if they get the development from their young guys up front and you get a big step forward from a guy like Quinn Hughes and if Demko proves himself to be a guy who's on the upswing in goal, some smart off, some smart free agent decisions or taking on some contracts next summer could set them up to be, you know, on the upswing, as teams like San Jose and Vegas, who are dealing with cap situations, might be kind of in that middle ground.
0: And people will play in Vancouver. They have a great setup there, beautiful city. I think they can get free agents there.
1: Yeah. So. So I think Vancouver on the upswing. I think they're your your Anaheim. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that that's what it sense. is. Yeah. Um. We'll move on to Arizona, uh, the soon-to-be Houston Arrows or whatever in my mind. Uh, they finished with 86 points, a pretty solid and surprising year for the team in the desert, 39-35-8, and negative 10 goal differential. This offseason, their big move was bringing in Phil Kessel. Um, they brought in Carl Soderberg as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on where they are now? Uh, I like some of the young guys up front. I think anti Ranta is underrated if he's healthy. So kind of where do you see I'm kind of on the fence on if they're actually as good as people are talking about or they're underrated. I love their coach and staff. Rick, <laughs> yeah.
0: Rick Tockett, Johnny McLean and Phil Housley. Like, I think for getting the most out of their D, I know it didn't work out in Buffalo. But when it comes down to just being like a strictly coach of the defense. I think Phil Housley is your guy and yeah. you look at who they have Oliver Ekman Larson, Alex Goligoski. you got Charmerson, you got Jacob Chikrin, they got Demers. I like them. I like that part of them. I do think last year they had an awful start. We we can all agree to that, but it seemed like they stayed playing their system. I don't think Rick Talkett ever changed up as to what they were doing. And for them to get a full season, and they had that push last year at the end to try to get into a playoff spot where some of your guys are only going to get better. Clayton Keller, Connor Garland, you bring in Phil Kessel, you have the leadership there with Stepan, you have Schmaltz. I'm with you. I I don't know if they're as good as people predict them to be. I think they're decent. I, I think they're like a C. And it all depends on their upswing or their downswing like i see this being a team that could rattle off 10 games in a row and win 10 games but i also see him a team that could lose 10 games in a row
1: yeah and for me i'm a, a pretty big anti-ranto fan from his time with the rangers i think when healthy he's a legitimate number one not a franchise type guy but you know, going in the time machine here, he reminds me of uh, Patrick Laleem when he was in his prime with, like, Ottawa, where he's able to give you solid production as your number one for a two-, three-, four-year stretch before kind of tapering off a little bit. I love Lawson Kraus, and I think he's, he's ready to develop boy. that big-time power forward. I think what hurts them is their center position. I know they have Barrett Hayton, who they're probably hoping steps into their 3C role. They have Dvorak still, who hasn't found his footing. But they had to bring in Soderberg for their 2C, essentially, when they traded away Dylan Strom, who wasn't working in the desert, but then goes to Chicago and takes off. So they have a bunch of young guys. They made the trade, like you said. They have Keller, they have Nick Smolz on the left side, Kraus on the left side, mixed in with Grabner. I think they have potential. I'm just not sure if they're ready to take that step this year. And then if it's not this year, are they going to get caught in the upswing of teams like Anaheim, Vancouver, potentially Edmonton who are are now ready to jump forward and then they miss their little window.
0: I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Like you said, next year, maybe the year after is Arizona, Edmonton, Vancouver, Anaheim. Like, I think a couple of years, all these teams are going to be very good, and th- like I think the Pacific's going to flip flop, where the top guys there now, like I think Calgary will still be there, but I think San Jose is going to drop. Vegas, I have to see their turn around. They might be coming down because they seem a little bit older. Like I feel like this whole position division could flip flop completely.
1: And that's the thing where, and we're going to get into Vegas next, but when you have to start shedding salary for cap purposes, you're not really bringing anything roster-wise roster, roster wise back, that's going to start hurting you. And, yeah, they have a couple of guys up front, but is that a long-term plan, especially in goal when you know, Flower is in his mid-30s? That,
0: that's a question.
1: So, all right, let's transition to the Vegas Golden Knights here. Uh, second year in existence, another pretty good season, 93 points, 43-32-7 plus 19 goal differential. Their offseason main moves, I mean, they brought back Derek England for a one-year deal. They traded Nikita Gusev to Vegas. They lost guys like Eric Holler, who they had to trade for cap reasons to Carolina. Um, they have Mark Stone signed long-term. They were able to kind of keep most of the core together. Uh, stasny's coming back. And so- what do you just where do you think they are in terms of actual contention this coming season?
0: Unfinished business game seven. I I think if they won that series against San Jose, I think they could have met St. Louis in the Western conference final. And I think they could have beat them. And I know it's a bold statement, the what could have, should have, would have, but like this team last year, Compared to this year is basically the same team. And this team compared to this year, last year, and the year before is basically the same team. Yeah. And I feel like just on that alone, I they mesh very well. Their top six is phenomenal. Stone, Pacharetti, Stasney, Carlson, Marsha Show, Alex Tuck. Like I like their lineup. I love their lineup. I like their back end. Nate Schmidt, Shea Theodore, Braden McNabb, Nick Like I don't see too many flaws in them. And with everything being basically the same, I don't know why they can't back, like can't get back to where they were the last couple of years. I I just don't see why. And I know it's hard to say, and the competition's getting younger and everything else, but whatever George McPhee has put together here, whatever they're drinking, whatever it's the home cooking (laughs) out there in Vegas, like it works. And I, I don't blame him for not wanting to mix it up. Like, whatever they're doing, it's working. Keep it going.
1: I mean, like you said, the coaching staff is top-notch. The GM is top-notch. For me, it's a depth. They I think they, like you said, very good top six with Marceau, so, Pacioretty, Carlson, Stastny, Stone. And I don't know if you put Smith or Alex Tuck in the top six, but... Either way, one of those guys being on your right side in the third line is pretty good setup. But after that, there's some question marks. You have Brandon Peary in your top nine. Is, this is the year Nosek takes that step forward. Cody Egan and Cody Glass as your three and four Cs. Uh, on the back end, I like Rent. I think he's exposed as a top pairing guy. I like Shea Theodore and Brady McNair, but after that, England's a... Number six guy, I don't know what you really have in John Merrill. Nick Holden, I have experience with him at the Rangers. He's a depth guy. I don't know really know what they have depth-wise in the back end. And then in goal, Fleury is going to be solid as he is always, but I think this is the year. They were probably hoping that it was going to be uh, Malcolm Subban that step forward, but they brought over Oscar Dansick who I think has potential to start cutting into some starts of Uh, flurry this year I just think that they're one injury major injury away from battling for the playoff lives and I don't think that's just because of the cap situation they were in and
0: and I agree with you on that too just due to that like they are very top heavy and one injury can harm them and the one other thing too is there are a lot of guys that are just on one-year deals here they have a lot of UFAs at the end of the year So this team is going to look different next year. But at the same time, I look at their prospects, and I know that they're a new team to the league. They'll only be in their third season now. But their prospect pool doesn't look too good. No. And I think that's going to be the issue where, hey, if guys are coming off, they're going to have to sign free agents. And you can only sign so many big free agents before that money's gone. So you are going to have to look at some of your guys in the system to come up and play. And if they're not ready, that brings a whole nother world to hurt in. But at the same time, too, it looks like it's only their bottom guys that are going to be UFA at the end of the year. They At the end of this year, still under contract, they still have Stone, Pacioretty, Stastny, Carlson, Smith, Marsha Show, Tuck. It's all the other guys that are underneath. Cody Eakin, Ryan Reeves, Thomas Nosek. And like you said, if Nosek has a year this year, like he had a playoffs last year, he'll be back. Or he'll test the free agent market and sign somewhere for bigger money, but had a great postseason. Perry's there for a couple more years, but then Curtis McKenzie. Perry's the
1: one-trick pony, though, man.
0: Which is fine. But, like, you look at the other way, he, they have him for this year and next year at seven seventy five. He doesn't even count for a mil on your cap. That's fine. Be a one-trick pony. Play my fourth or third line wing. And if I can get 15 goals out of you, I am happy as a pig and shit
1: for me. So I know you highlighted that it's good they had their core guys locked up. And after the season there, it's mainly their bottom pairing and depth guys that are free agents. But I think that's a double-edged sword there where you look at the cap situation and they had to start shedding depth guys this summer to get under the cap. They only have 1.7 million in cap space at this point in the off season. But When you start letting those guys go next year because of your cap situation and then you don't have young guys that are ready to step in and fill that spot, then you're really going to start running into some problems there in terms of being top-heavy. You have Flurry making 7 mil. You have a bunch of guys up front making over $5 million a year. And I think they're walking a tightrope here in terms of, yeah, locking up their core, but at what cost? Do you want to be top heavy to the point like where you're in Edmonton where your back end is okay and then you're top heavy up front and then you can't add anybody because of your cap situation so I think they're walking a very fine line here and this might be the year where they make their run and if they don't they might have to start entering a little bit of a transition period
0: yeah but I mean when you get guys that you have to inherit contracts when you sign them in that expansion draft like you have Cody Eakin at 3.85 Okay, at the end of this year, see you later. You got Ryan Reeves at just under three at 2.775. At the end of this year, see you later. Like, I think there's going to be people that they can part ways with, and it won't be an issue. Like Nick Holden, John Merrill, Derek England at the end of the year, see you later. Eakin and Reeves, see you later. And I think free agents will go to Vegas. Uh, Like, everyone loves Gerard Gallant. I don't think you're going to see. Yeah, but do they have the
1: cap space to sign free agents? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they could get a big-notch
0: defenseman and lock up those front four. It would be Schmidt, Theodore, McNabb, and somebody else, and they would still have their big top four, and then you could fill in a five and six. Not worried about that. And if it's just bottom roll guys, I I think you're okay. Like, for 3.85, dude, like Cody Eakin, I I think you could find a lot better number for 3.85 than Cody Eakin. So I think if you just try to switch certain players around in the slots that you already have open, I think you'll be fine.
1: Uh, We're going to have to agree to disagree on that one until we get into our season previews just because, yeah, Cody Eakin's overpaid at 3.85, but on the unrestricted free agent market, I'm not quite sure what you're going to get for 3.85 or less because if you go more, you're kind of – they don't even have enough cap space now. Never mind adding more salary next summer. Well, so yeah,
0: I guess we do have to touch on that too. That I'm pretty sure they're currently over the cap and they have to shed space. Oh no yeah. no. They they made it just under currently. They they still have a million in cap space. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> yeah, last time I saw her, it was somebody else that was
1: just over
0: and they still have to remove some people. So I apologize for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um we'll move on to San Jose. Uh Eventful offseason for the Sharks. Uh, they signed Eric Carlson to an eight-year contract, massive deal. Um, they assigned Timo Meyer to a four-year contract, which was their big RFA this summer. Uh, they re-signed Kevin LeBanc to that unbelievable one-year, $1 million uh, contract. Um, they brought in Dalton Prout for death on a back end. Joe Thornton is still sitting out there as their free agent's Looking around, you they're bringing back Evander Kane, Timo Meyer, Logan Couture, Tomas Hurdle. Dylan Gambrell is ready to step into a probably a 3 or 4C role. You have LeBanc and Sorensen on a right side. Where do you see them? Are they going to stay consistent where they were the last year and the year before that? Do they have any more potential to squeeze out of this group, or are they kind of... Just biding their time and maybe sliding down the standings a little bit.
0: Yeah, I got them sliding down if if they make the playoffs. And I know that's uh, people are very high on San Jose. They always are. I didn't really like some of their moves. I don't really like some of their players. But the only thing is, like, I see them slip into like a wild card spot. Um, mm. I love Logan Couture. I like Evander Kane, but I, I do think that he's extremely detrimental to your team and in your clubhouse. I think that you never know what you're getting out of him. He seemed to go to San Jose and fit, which is good. But as for how long? Because he seemed to fit in Winnipeg and he seemed to fit in Buffalo. so
1: Yeah, he's a little bit of a selfish player in terms of not thinking about how his actions are going to impact the team in that moment. Yeah,
0: but I think they have a huge loss here in Pavelski. And I know that's a cap issue as to why they couldn't bring him back and all that. But Joe Pavelski was the captain of your team. Like, he led you the whole year. Like, Joe had a great year. And now it's you're waiting on Jumbo Joe to sign back if he is going to sign back. Yeah, you got the great deal in LeBanc. But you're also paying Eric Carlson 11 5 a year, and yeah. Brent Burns 8 and Mark Edward Vlasic 7 Edward Vlasic, $7 million, <laughs> dude. Like, I just think that kills you. And then yeah. you look at everybody else that is on their D-end. Everybody else at the end of this year is unrestricted, and then you have Jacob Middleton, who's restricted. Dylan's unrestricted, Tim Heed, Dalton Prout, Radom Simic. Like... I don't see anybody coming back on the decor. Like you're going to have to hopefully with, with fin, ugh, fill that from within. Like, I just think that if they do have a decent year this year, like next year is going to be tough for them. Like they're going to have a lot of things they have to fix and it's not going to be easy. Cause they don't have a lot of cap space. And then LeBanc's going to be ready for his extension.
1: Like with arbitration rights
0: with arbitration rights, but I'm sure Dougie Wilson will, pull something out of his hat like he did this year with that extension. So I think they're in for a world of hurt. I think they definitely underestimated as to what Joe Pavelski gave them in that team. And I think it's just another one of those unfortunate things with the salary cap and everybody needs to get paid. And that's the merry-go-round that it is. But
1: I don't know. For me, a lot of people, I mean, you got to give San Jose credit for a decade. They're pretty much almost locked to make the playoffs and make a deep run for the most part. Um, Dougie Wilson is a fantastic GM. But, and these, those same people I like to point that out point out that, yeah, they lost Pavelski and his production. He was their captain. And it was a hard decision because of the salary cap. But they also let their previous captain, Patrick Marlowe, who was a lifetime Sharko. And they were just fine. My response to that is, you let, okay, let Marlo go. That's one dink in the armor. Now you let Provelski go. Joe Thornton, if he was going to sign, or he would have signed already. Like It's not like there's not much more cap maneuvering to do in San Jose. That's a lot of institutional and organizational knowledge to walk out the door.
0: Well, the other thing is this, now that you touched on that, let part Patrick Marlow go. And then they stripped Joe of the captaincy. And then they get yeah. to, like, I just feel like there's so much more like underlying stuff that's going on here that whether it's personal or whether it's business, I feel like they have a strong line just drawn in the sand. And that's the way that they go. And like you said, absolutely. Tip your cap to San Jose for what they've done the past 10 years for being a lock and being in the playoffs and being a team that could potentially win a Stanley Cup every year except up till this year, if you looked at that lineup at the beginning of the season, you would you could have them penciled in as the Stanley Cup champion. They haven't got there, but I mean...
1: They had the ability to.
0: They had the ability
1: to, but now it's starting to fall apart. And for me, when you think of the San Jose Sharks, now you have to... It's basically down to two guys. It's Logan Couture and Brent Burns. I don't consider Eric Carlson a leader for the San Jose Sharks. He's been there one year. I think we already talked about his contract previously, but I think that's going to be a massive burden on a Sharks cap situation for years to come. He's never healthy. His groin issue is chronic. He's not a great defender. He can't skate backwards. Like, I know he's an elite offensive production guy, but once that starts to slip, what is he going to give you? Um, They don't have depth on the back end. They don't have... And I know it's because they've been drafting late, which is, you know, a great trade off to have. But they don't have really a lot of good blue chip guys that are going to come up from the system and backfill that top six this year and next. Their right side, yeah, Lebanc's good, but did anybody expect him to have the year that he had last year? Is that just an outlier? And if that's the case, your top right winger is Marcus Sorensen. So I don't know how you're looking there. Uh, I like Dylan Gambrell as a center. I think they're set through the middle with uh, Tomasz Hurdle and Logan Couture. I like Kane and Timo Meyer. They have a couple young guys, like Chukovic and Kowalski, uh, Kowalski that's they're hoping can develop into something uh, to continue that pipeline going. But like you, I'm just worried. I know it's an intangible thing, and it's hard to put your finger on it when you're doing analysis and stuff like this, but... My two biggest question marks are the loss of organizational knowledge in that locker room and the change from one team, one goal in terms of we've been here, we've been through struggles. We have everybody's backs to becoming top heavy with kind of mercenaries. Like a guy like Eric Carlson and Evander Kane. And then the second part for me is I do expect Martin Jones to have a little bit of a bounce back year, but I don't think he's a guy that can carry you, and they can't afford to really bring in anybody else. So when you line them up against teams in their division, they can compete. I wouldn't be surprised if they finish second in the division, third in the division, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it's just something that's off with the Sharks this coming year, and I know that's difficult for people to like, kind of grasp possibly and understand because it's not a stat that I can throw out there. But as, a guy, but as a person that lived in the Bay Area for the last three years, you can tell there's a change in like the outlook on a team by losing those potentially three guys if Jumbo Joe doesn't return. It stinks like rotten shark meat. It stinks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I think this is a very pivotal year for the Sharks to see what their future is going to be like.
0: Yeah, they're, they're basically putting the kids in the driver's seat and they're hoping they can swim. Like, you yeah. know, that's that's it. You brought the kids to the beach. Hey, hope they can swim. That's, <laughs> that's where it is uh, right now.
1: So we'll wrap up the Pacific Division all season. We will head up north to the Calgary Flames. They finished first in the division last year, 50-25-7 uh, for 107 points and a plus-62 goal differential, which led the Western Conference by a large margin. Um, this summer was mainly about trying to find a solution and goal and then, uh, getting out of the James Neal contract. They think they did both. Uh, they brought in Cam Talbot on a one year deal. Um, they re-signed Sam Bennett to a two year deal, RFA contract, and then they made the James Neal from Milan Lucic swap. they I think they brought back pretty much everybody from last year. Do you think last year was a fluke? In terms of 107 points, where do you think they put themselves in position to be the, uh, I guess, the king of the Pacific for a few more years here?
0: I'm going king of the Pacific. I got them winning the Pacific again. I just feel like they're a very deep team overall. Johnny Gaudreau, Monahan, Backlund, Lindholm, Jankowski your boy that they need to figure out big time right now is Keith uh Matthew Kachuk. They have to lock up that restricted free agent. I just feel like the team is built to win and it's built to win now. And the playoffs last year, like I don't I don't know what happened, but I feel like with their guys, they're younger and they might not be wanting to take over that heavy role in James Nail didn't work there. That's it. Hook, line, sinker. It didn't work. It is what it is. They brought in Milan Lucic, who I think now has something to prove, but he's also wanted there. Yeah. Like, they will love having Lucic being a fourth-line winger, third-line winger, going up and down the ice, smashing people into the boards, and if anybody gets out of line, that's your guy that's going to serve five. And I think in the playoffs, that was kind of what they needed. Like... You had Hammonick kind of being more than he is, going over the edge a little bit, and the problem for them is this. Travick, like, he is tough. Tough, tough, tough. No question about it. But you're also one of their top four defensemen. Like, you can't get taken out of the play. Like, you just can't. So to me, the only thing is you need to be smart. I feel like Lucic brings them then. Lucic comes in, and he can be their toughness. So Hammonick doesn't have to be off the ice for five minutes or have to get a roughing penalty. You go further down into this lineup, Mark Giordano, what a great year last year, and he's often just talked about beneath these elite defensemen, but obviously he's there. And then you fill it in with Noah Hannafin, TJ Brody, Hamannick, they have Rasmus Anderson and Oliver Kylington. I mean, I'm very big on their top four. The one thing that I'm just kind of spotty on is Camp Talbot. I don't know what he brings you in the sense of a goalie. Like, I don't know how this would be an upgrade from Mike Smith. Maybe the numbers are a little bit better. I just don't know as to if he can take you there. This could be another one of those situations where the offense is going to be phenomenal in games. is going to light it up. Monaghan's going to light it like, I don't think there's any questions regarding all of that. I just think the hardest part is going to be bringing everything together, and I don't think Cam Talbot's the guy to get you to the Stanley Cup. That's just my only thing. And everything else seems to be okay. It seems to be there. It seems to be in place. It's just...
1: I don't think Talbot's your guy. Yeah, I mean, I like Talbot a lot more than having Mike Smith be your 1 or 1A one that Calgary had last year. I know, I think they're still high on Riddick in Calgary, um, but I, I'm on the same page with you in terms of Calgary being, I think, the clear-cut front runner to win a Pacific Division. They're just loaded top to bottom you know, you've been talking about all the teams in division and they're either top-heavy up front or they have a, a good top six on the back end or they have a franchise goalie. I think Calgary has two out of three and then a goalie isn't that bad. I don't know if he's a Stanley Cup guy like you mentioned, um, but I think when you have, in, especially in the playoffs, when you, things get a little bit tighter and you have the top six of Giordano, Brody, Hamanick, Hannafin, and then you have the offense that they have. You're just you just need Talbot to not lose your games, which is where San Jose was the last few years with Martin Jones. We don't really need you to stand on your head here and pull a Stanley Cup out of your ass like Bennington with St. Louis. We just need you to not lose your shit. And I think Talbot this is the situation where I think he can find that. But we'll see in terms of playoffs for go. But yeah, I think they're clear cut especially this year, probably next year as well, where they're the team to beat.
0: One of the biggest things that I think they're waiting on too is they still have John Gillies and Tyler Parsons in the minors for goaltending. Like, Once those kids develop completely, they don't have this goaltending issue. It's going to be those kids for the next 10 years. Like That's the way that's going to lock down, unless they trade one of them to get some value if one ends up being the clear-cut favorite, whatever it is. The biggest thing is Matthew Kachuk in his development has been phenomenal. And you need him to stay on that course of being a goal scorer, being a point getter. Now that you have Lucic, he doesn't have to deal with that bullshit. Like Matthew yeah. Kachuk can blossom into Brad Marchand.
1: That's yeah, I'm hoping a little less bullshitty than Marchand. But yeah, I totally agree with that that's a big addition.
0: So I mean, they have to figure out him before training camp. They currently only have about just over seven million on the books. So, I mean, I think he's going to cost it. you around that. I, I think he's probably going to lock up there long term. They love him up there. He's a nutcase. <laughs> the, the the only thing for me is what an awful haircut. Like my God. <laughs> o- outside of that, I'm a huge Maca Chuck fan.
1: But that haircut's I mean, awful. That whole That whole family is uh has some. Mean mugs. I was going to say, great genetics, though. I mean, all of these jugglers, <laughs> but. And just to kind of wrap up, at least on my end, Calgary is set up long term here. Like, after this season, they're only free agents. Michael Frohlich, uh Austin Kazarnik. I mean, you have Brody and hamnick that are free agents at the end of the year, but I think they're going to be able to bring back one of those guys. And that's a solid top three with Giordano and Hannafin. And then if you're banking on. Uh, the young goalies to step in, that's going to buy you some cap space too. So they're set up pretty much long-term here for core, and they're not locked up long-term in declining guys like L.A. And they also have, even though they're locked up long-term with their core, they still have some good depth guys that are either cheap or on their entry-level contracts, unlike San Jose and uh, Vegas.
0: Yeah, and the other thing too is all their core guys they have long-term are young. Outside of Lucic, they're all young. Goudreau, 26, Monaghan, 24, Backlund up there at 30, but Lindholm, only 24. Like, these guys are all young. Katschuk's only 21, Uh, Jankowski's only 24, like, Bennett's only 23. Their whole core is young, which is phenomenal to grow with.
1: And it's going to be interesting to see, and kind of wrap it up here in terms of the Pacific, if Calgary is the clear-cut number one for the next few years, does that impact the other teams in terms of free agency decisions? Like, does that make them say, okay, let's not make the big, big costly move for the number one free agent because we can make a few smaller moves and finish second and third and get to the playoffs? Or do we overspend to try and take down Calgary and potentially damage our cap as our younger guys come up? So it's going to be interesting.
0: Well, the other thing too is Calgary drafted really well. Like, I know Goudreau, obviously, Johnny Hockey, Monaghan. Happy I'm birthday. Sure. What is it, yesterday or today? Uh, I think it was yesterday. Okay. But like, Sam Bennett, Jankowski, all these guys were drafted and developed. Like, it's not like they were free agents that signed there, all drafted and developed. It, so it speaks a lot for them and to finally now have it come full circle as these guys are now blossoming into pretty little flowers.
1: <laughs> um, and they finally got approval from the city for to start building a new arena, which should be done in a couple of years. The only thing I need Calgary to do is to stop wearing those horrendous red and black uniforms and just go back to the red, yellow, and white.
0: Yeah, the the old red, uh, the, the sea of red up there. You got to go back to that.
1: Yeah. Um, before we get into today's NHL history and shout-outs, uh, kind of wanted your thoughts on two little news items that came up this week. Uh, the first one is Nick Foligno in Columbus, the captain. Uh, he was being interviewed by the Canadian press, and they kind of asked him about the offseason that the Blue Jackets had, where they lost Matt Duchesne, Sergey Bobrovsky, looks like Adam McQuaid, um, and Artemi Panarin. And I thought his quote was interesting. I mean... You wouldn't expect a captain to say anything else but this, but he kind of named them by name here. And he said, quote, my thing is you don't leave a good team to try and find another one. What we're building in Columbus, everyone is excited to be a part of it. You want guys fully on board. Uh, Between Bobrovsky, Panarin, and Matt, meaning Duchesne, they all worked extremely hard. It's their choice to go. You don't agree with it, but you want guys that want to play in Columbus.
0: I mean you you got you want guys that want to play there like that's the whole point of signing somewhere and being a team and everything like you want guys to want to play there as for him to be that open in the media I I mean a little shocking as a hockey player outside you know it's their right to go to free agency (laughs) and (laughs) do what they want but I think at the same time he's pissed off because he's there for a while he's locked up long term he's the captain there and he was the one who was so happy when Yarmo Kukulainan went out of his way to bring in that whole team and make the push for the cup. Not like let's bring it in at the trade deadline. Guys aren't re-signing here. His goal was let's bring a cup to Columbus. It didn't end up working out and you can't blame them for being pissed. Cause I mean, they went into that playoffs and granted, the team didn't really find their chemistry going into the playoffs. Like they they were still a little shaky. Duchesne was kind of soft going into it Dezingle hadn't really found a home yet, but then they come out and they sweep Tampa and I don't care what you say. If Tampa lost steam or this, that, the other thing, like them coming out and sweeping Tampa, like that's something special. Yeah. And if everybody did resign there this year, I think they could have a chance. Like they'd be at the top of that Metro. Like there's no question, but now they're in a world of hurt. Like it's a complete on the fly rebuild. And they don't even know who, what, where, when, why right now. Like your best winger has gone. Your best singers, like your best trade deadline acquisitions are gone. You have to retool that whole team. And I don't blame them for being pissed or calling guys out. But at the same time, it's like he said, you want guys that want to be there. So you can't really be too mad if guys leave because they don't want to be in Columbus. It's not a hockey market. It's not a place where people say, I hope Columbus drafts
1: me. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It's just. I one mean, of Jeff those Carter things. and Mike Richards couldn't wait to get the hell out of there.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't know, man.
1: For me, I think. I don't think Felino was expecting Panarin to resign. I think the writing was on a the wall there for a long time. Um, I think it was 50-50 that Borowski was going to resign until he had that issue on the team plane uh, towards the end of the year. I think what hurt, what probably surprised him the most was Duchesne leaving because, yeah, Columbus gave him a good deal um, and they've been after Duchesne for a while, but if they were able to like, just keep Duchesne, I think their whole outlook for this upcoming season is different because they had their one seed. They can combine him with uh, DeBron and Winberg. Uh Josh Anderson, Cam Atkinson—they still have their good top three. And Orensky, who I know is recovering right now, Seth Jones, and David Savard—they have a, a couple of young guys in the back end. And then I think—I know this is separate from the quote—but they made a mistake not bringing in a goaltender, like especially if you could have gotten Robin Leonard for one year, five million, because Zach Golding's situation is difficult right now. But yeah, I don't blame him for being pissed. I think what hurt him the most, or surprised him the most, was Duchene leaving.
0: And, I mean it is what it is. I mean, can you blame Duchene for shine? It's like for signing in Nashville. Like, I, I just don't see it. Like you actually brought up one really good point before we came on. And it was about Bobrovsky. Uh, say, say what you said about Bobrovsky about going to, we don't even know if he went to a better team or
1: not. Oh yeah. His departed a quote where uh, Felino said, you don't leave a good team to go to hopefully a good team. And I think that was at Bobrovsky because he left Columbus where he was going to be the clear cut number one on a team that was a playoff team and has a nice future ahead of him if he stays and a couple other guys stay to go to Florida, who I know they brought in Quenville and a couple other guys, but you're hoping they become what Columbus was last year. So I, I agree with
0: you 100% because Florida's had the roster a couple of years, but they can't get over that hump. So maybe they're banking on Quenville. Maybe they're banking on finally just having some consistency in that and Bobrovsky, but they're banking on something here.
1: Yeah. So
0: that, that, that's uh, a very that, interesting point, like you said.
1: The last quick thing I wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, the Athletic is doing their annual uh, farm system rankings. They start all the way from 31, which is the worst in the league, all the way up to number one. They do, I think, one or two a day. Today they released the Boston Bruins, who are ranked number 29 in the National Hockey League. Uh, Last year, they were ranked number 27, so they dropped two spots. Uh, They had a C- grade for the 2019 draft. Uh, The key subtractions or graduations, according to The Athletic, were Connor Clifton and Ryan Donato, and Jacob Forzbaka-Carlson. And then they listed their top three prospects as Jack Stanika. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, number two, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Erho Vakininen. And number three is John Beecher. So I want to get your thoughts on the system being ranked so low and if you think those are your actual three top prospects.
0: Uh, I'm actually very surprised that they had the prospects listed that low because I kind of have them the other way listed pretty high. Um, Trent Frederick up there, Jackson Stadnika, like you said, Another guy, they got Jakob Lacco, who goes and tears it up in the World Championships, and they just signed him to his entry level. Like, I don't know where. I mean, I know the DN's a little flat. They do have Gero and They also have Jeremy Lozon, who came up last year and played pretty nice with us. Coolman, Coolman. like, it's one of those things where I think people still rely on that 2015 draft. <laughs> yeah and because i mean you look at it and still under the quote-unquote prospect pool you have zach seneshin still hasn't really blossomed has that great speed and then you look over on the d end at Jakob Zaboral, who's still there he's only played one game so far so i mean i still think that people point to that but as for those guys i said like frederick Lako stanica vakanainen lozon like I just don't know why they have us ranked that low for I'm just a little surprised more than anything. And the other thing is for them saying the biggest one of the biggest subtractions was JFK going back to Sweden. I don't even know why they signed JFK that year early and burned the air on his entry level. The the kid was just legitimately. He he was like Danton Heinen, where he (laughs) would just go into the lineup and go missing. Like you didn't even know he was playing. And I I just don't know for for me personally how that's a, a huge loss. Like I I just don't get it. And I think those other five guys I named are gonna come into the lineup and be. And I didn't even name Beecher. Beecher just went to the World Junior Showcase and he was the best player there, the best player at the World Junior after he just got drafted right at the end of the first round. Like huge body and the kid can skate like. I don't know, man. Maybe it's just me that they can say it's my home But I mean, like, I didn't even get into other guys. I didn't get into Cameron Hughes. I really love Ryan Fitzgerald, though. I think he'll just be like a permanent AHL player forever. Like, I've always (laughs) loved Fitzy, kind of grew up with them through the Malden Catholic regime and all that. Like, Anders Bjork, another guy with a huge question mark, played with us a little two years ago, a little bit last year, got hurt both years, like, if he can stay healthy, I would actually be interested to see what he can do because we still don't even know what he can do, but he was phenomenal at Notre Dame. So I don't know. I, I just find that very interesting from the athletic. Usually they're pretty reliable source, pretty in-depth source. I just don't see how that's that, unless they're just trying to rank it on top three prospects. Like I, I don't know. That just sounds well, kind of shitty I'll, to me.
1: I'll reserve my judgment on the credibility of these rankings until he ranked the Rangers because if the Rangers aren't in the top five after the last two and a half years, we've that they've done and the kind of the blue chip prospects that they brought on board. Then I'm going to be like, okay, something's up here, but uh, at least the Rangers have something over the Bruins right now. And that's a better farm system. Hey, take it pal. Take it where you can get it. <laughs> um, all right. So let's wrap up today in NHL history and uh, any shout outs uh, like day, obviously, because it's August, but in 1938, uh, Bill Masterlin is born in Winnipeg. Uh, as a forward playing for the first year in Minnesota North Stars, uh, he wasn't wearing a helmet when he checked hard in a game against the Oakland Seals. Holy shit, what a throwback sentence that was. <laughs> on January 13th, uh, 1968, after the check, he lands on his head and he dies two, two days later. The Bill Masterlin Trophy is first awarded later that year to honor the player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. And lastly, in 1975, Marty Turco, owner of the lo- lowest single-season goals against average in NHL since 1940, is born in Sault St. Marie, Ontario. He was selected in the fifth round by the Dallas Stars in 1994 and becomes a starter after Ed Belfort loses the free agent in 2002. And it finishes with a 1.72 goals against average in 55 games in the 2002 2000, 2003 season which was the lowest since Dave Kerr of my New York Rangers, who finished with a 1.54 goals against average.
0: I have to to get right into it. I had to say it instantly. Do you remember in pache's class when jay brought up phil kessel as a quote-unquote lady bing winner even though he won the masterson trophy just because we had like a project due on sportsmanship because i remember once you said the masterson trophy i started (laughs) laughing because i always think about that and i remember i raised my hand and asked him like i think you have the trophies mixed up and i could see jay's face up on the thing like like dog don't do me like this so what if jay actually shares a birthday with you so happy birthday to jay and happy birthday to you uh, another big shout out to Stratford having us up to the uh, you know the New Hampshire property this weekend. Uh, the estates, yeah, the estates up there. Fuck, beautiful setup. Uh, yeah, just let me know when I can go back. I'll I'll bring the kids this time so you can babysit, and me and the wife will go out. And um, yeah, as always, Big Red, happy birthday to you. And I think that's all I got this week. That that, that was good. That J one got me rolling. So oh, actually. Uh, <laughs> Today, t- today, uh, today, eight thirteen, the Chino Maslindo's birthday. Uh, Phil Rizzuto, one of our sponsors from uh, the owner of Lizzie's Ice Cream in Harvard Square. So, happy birthday to El Chino Maslindo del Mundo.
1: <laughs> happy birthday, uh, Fast Phil. I'll, I'll stick to that. Um, actually, what's funny is that, uh, Jay's story that it was the same project where before I went up, uh, you and him dared me to say, stuff in every I do remember at that. point of, every, of various points of every sentence in my presentation, which was supposed to be a 10 minute presentation. I forget what it was on, but you guys like say stuff at various points in every sentence and see if you can make it coherent. And so I did that. And then I got dinged a whole letter grade because I had a nervous tick in my presentation. So I appreciate that and stuff uh, and stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, But shout out First Lady. She is still gallivanting around the world. She is now heading towards Mount Fuji as we speak in Japan. So shout out to her. Hopefully uh, she has a good time there. Um, And, you know, just because everybody loves hearing about it, me and a First Lady are now one month away from beginning our trip back to the East Coast. So can't wait to get that shit started. I'm excited
0: for that. Almost there.
1: Almost there. So... Uh, next week, I, we're going to be covering the Central Division. Uh, see what's been going on there this past off season. We're only only a few weeks away, to so hopefully some big-time interviews get lined up and then season previews.
0: I'm excited, man. Um, I'm biased, but I thought this episode went really well. I thought this was probably the most in-depth we've been able to go team-wise and things like that, just covering a specific division. So I think next week's going to be cool covering the Central because – What a division that is. That is a nightmare division to be in if you're a player or a coach or anything else. But everybody, as always, thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day, and we will catch all you guys next week. We'll catch you then.